Uh, this morning before the message, I would like to uh, lift a prayer that, that I've shared with you before. It's, a, it's from the 13th century, uh, written by a guy named Richard. It's been uh, translated and tweaked just a little bit since then, but i like to offer it now. Let's join our hearts in prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you for all the benefits you have won for us for all the pains and insults you have borne for us. Most merciful Redeemer, our friend and brother, may we know you more clearly, love you more dearly, and follow you more nearly day by day. Amen. When I was a senior in college, I worked part-time uh, with Pastor Bob at the United Methodist Church in, in uh, Milford, Nebraska. And uh, that January of that school year, Bob was going to go to a pastor's conference at his alma mater in Kentucky, and he asked me if I would like to go along. And I said, sure, because I wanted to go check out the seminary. So early, early, Monday morning, the day we were going to leave, I get a phone call from Bob saying they've had a terrible snowstorm in Kentucky, the conference was canceled, uh, and, and to tell you the truth, I was a bit relieved because I woke up that morning and I didn't feel so good. As it turns out, I was sick in bed all week. I'm so glad I wasn't stuck in a car during that time and getting sicker during that day. Anyway, on Friday, finally, I trudged my way to the campus clinic and the nurse, you know, took my temperature and uh, listened to my heart and my lungs and asked me about my symptoms. And she said, well, she says, well, there are two bad viruses going around. There's, there's uh, influenza and then there's a stomach intestinal virus. She says, I think you got both of them at the same time. Lucky you. So now, as we do every once in a while here, I'm going to have you huddle up into groups of three to five, and this one's a little gross, <laughs> but I want you to tell about a time when you were sick, but you know how sometimes it's easy to, for people to go on and on when they're sick? We're not going to let you do that. So I've got a sick sentence for you to follow. Here it is. When I was blank, I came down with blank, and the worst part was blank. That's all you get. One sentence. Uh, mine would be when I was a senior in college, I came down with the influenza and a stomach bug at the same time. And the worst part was the body aches. Over. That's all you get. Uh, now, some of you have had big, serious stuff. You've had cancer or, or heart disease or maybe it was gout or arthritis or pneumonia. Maybe you're even dealing with it now. But whatever it is, you can only share one thing. And which one is up to you. So... Uh, I'm going to have you huddle up in groups of three to five, look around, and if you see someone around you who's alone, ask him to join your group. And by the way, you don't have to share anything. You can just listen if you want to. One more thing. Wait, 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 wait. After you shared your sick, each of you has shared your sick sentence, the ones that want to, see if one of you would be willing to volunteer, volunteer to say a short prayer. Will you do that? Just say, thank you, God, for bringing us through all our sicknesses or, and bless the one who's still struggling right now. Something like that, okay? So, on your ready, set, go. Okay, move into your prayer if you haven't already. Go ahead and do a little prayer if you want to.
Okay, well, you know, with all the sickness here, it's amazing we're as healthy as we are, isn't it? I can just see that somebody's going to leave church today and say, wow, church was really sick today. And I'm going to have no idea whether that was good or bad, right? Uh, now, when you get a viral infection, uh, you may get really sick. Uh, fortunately, a virus tends to run its course, and over time, you get better. But I'm infected with something that does not run its course, does not go away. It makes me jealous. It can make me self-destructive. It makes me paranoid. It, make, it leads me to gossip and break promises. It, it, I, I turn things into idols. I worship the approval of others. And to make it worse, we reinfect each other. And you have it too. It's a spiritual sickness called the sinful nature. This sinful inclination we have. Right now, we're in this series, Discover Together, Big Ideas of the Bible, and today we're looking at the, uh, the only thing that can cure us, the only antidote for this spiritual infection. The Bible calls it holiness. Now, today, if you're here and you don't count yourself as someone who, you know, loves and follows Jesus and his disciple, then I thought, I'm, I'm glad you're here. I hope that today's message, uh, maybe God speaks to you through it or at least gives you an insight into where we are going, what we feel is important, where we're heading in our lives. Uh, each Sunday in this series, we, are, we get to see a short video, and here's the one about holiness. Let's watch. Okay, uh, you know, you find it all throughout the Bible uh, beginning with that episode when uh, Moses uh, encounters God at the burning bush, it says that God is holy. But you know, not everybody believes that. You remember that uh, song that Joan Osborne had back in the 90s? She asked some really deep questions. What if God was one of us? Just a slob like one of us. Just a stranger on the bus trying to find his way home. Remember that song? I wonder what God would say. Maybe God would say, thanks for asking, Joan, but the truth is, I'm not like one of you. God might say, I am unique. I'm holy. I'm, I'm not lost or confused, and I'm trying to help you find your way home. You know, almost every night when I, when I go to bed, uh, I silently and, and very slowly pray the Lord's Prayer. And you know, some nights I fall asleep before I finish, and that's okay too. Uh, and when we say in the Lord's Prayer, hallowed be thy name, what we're praying is that, for, that God's would be regarded as holy. Hallowed means that something is either made holy or regarded as holy. So let's open our Bibles to the, the book of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah. Uh, we'll be in chapter 6, starting with verse 3. Uh, in the Pew Bible, you'll see it on page 685. And if you, if you wish you had a Bible uh, of your own, a readable translation to take home, then we would just say, today's your day. Uh, we, can, we can make your wish come true, and, and that Pew Bible is yours. Uh, you can take it. We'll, we'll stick another one in after the service, okay? Now, chapter 6 tells about a vision that Isaiah had. He dates it in the, on the year of uh, the death of king, uh, Israel's king Uzziah, and the scholars tell us that was in 740 B.C. 
in his vision, he sees the Lord Almighty seated on the throne in the temple. Now, Isaiah doesn't really describe the Lord's appearance. Maybe God was just too brilliant to look at directly. All he sees is God's robe filling the temple. And he also sees some six-winged angels called seraphim. Uh, and by the way, the, the root of the Hebrew word seraphim uh, implies that they were fiery beings. And I don't know if you noticed that in the video, but they sort of had that fiery glow to them. Uh, and still, these magnificent creatures, it said they used two of their wings to cover their faces so they would not look directly at God. So let's go to verse 3. Are you with me? And they were calling to one another, and let's say the rest together, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. You know, by the way, that would be a great verse to memorize, wouldn't it? Just to have those words, that doxology of praise, ready to go on your lips. And when we say God is holy, what does that mean really? When we say God is holy, we're saying that he is perfect, that God is pure. We're also saying that God, like I said in the video, that God is unique. Only God has the power to create, the power to, to create and, and make this beautiful world and universe that we live in. So how does Isaiah respond? How does he react to God's holy presence? Let's look in verse 5. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. In the presence of the holy God, Isaiah becomes painfully aware of his unholiness. And then one of the fiery seraphim goes to the altar the, seraphim, the seraph returns with a hot, glowing coal and brings it up close to Isaiah's face. What does the seraph do? It touches Isaiah's unclean lips. But the coal doesn't burn him. It heals him. The angel says, your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. So, Isaiah is made pure He's made clean by God. So when the Lord asks, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Isaiah is now ready. He is prepared to respond and says, here am I. Send me. Now, as I've said before, um, the normal way that God works in this world is through people. We see it over and over, time and time again in the Scripture. Uh, but that creates a problem for God. How can a holy God work through people who, when we're so badly infected with sin? And the answer is that God makes us holy. God call, called Israel to be his holy people, and they agreed to, to join God in this covenant. The problem was that they kept breaking the covenant. They kept disobeying all of God's commands. They, they reverted back to worshiping idols, and, and most of the time they were like people of unclean lips and unclean lives. So then God starts phase two of his plan, and Jesus comes to do for us what that hot coal did for Isaiah. The Bible calls us people who belong to Christ. We are God's holy people. We go, really? God makes us. 
his holy people. Now, what does that look like? What does that mean? In what ways are we holy people? Three things. First, you are holy because your sins are forgiven. That, that record of offenses, of the, all the things that you've done, is now just wiped clean. You've been pardoned. Your guilt is removed. The Bible says there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So that means God is not mad at you. God's not ready to, out to get you. Not, God's not going to punish you because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. By his grace, you are made holy in the eyes of God. Second, you are holy because you belong to Jesus. One definition of holy is set apart. Right? Set apart. Jesus called you. You put your faith in him. You put your life in him, in his hands. You are set apart. You do not, you do not belong to this world. You belong to him. And in him, in this relationship, you are made holy. Third, you are holy because you are being transformed. Now, the sinful nature, still in us, right? It's not been eliminated, not, not till we go to the new Jerusalem and, and uh, in the next life. But that sin nature is still there. But, but God is cleansing you from its effects. Jesus said uh, that the Holy Spirit is like, like the great river. Like it talked about Ezekiel's river. You know, it's, the Holy Spirit in you is like a great river that flows in you and flows out of you. And God is making you more and more like Jesus so you can make loving, righteous choices every day. You know, I know this is going to sound really radical, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that the Methodist founder, John Wesley, a few hundred years ago, would have, would have said amen to this. When you, when you woke up this morning, it was not inevitable that you would deliberately choose to sin today. Did you know that? When you woke up this morning, by the grace of God, it is not inevitable that you will deliberately choose to sin today. You are not doomed to do it. God has the power, and his power at work in you makes it possible for you to, to intend to do loving, make loving, righteous choices. Now, we're going to still mess up some, in some ways. We're going to make some mistakes. We're going to have, you know, we're not going to know what the right thing to do is. We're going to be confused in some ways. But there is a purification that happens to us that we will not make intentionally wrong, sinful choices, that we will intend to make and deliberately make loving, righteous choices to the best of our knowledge. Now, God does the heavy lifting. God does the big work in this. You have a part to play, and here it is. Your part in being transformed is to stay close to God and stay away from whatever pulls you down and pulls you into sin. How do we, do, how do we stay close to God? We stay close to God by filling our lives with things that are dear to the heart of God. I go to my faith group um, just about every week. I mean, I had to miss this week for uh, my family funeral, but I, 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 make, I make this a really high priority. It helps me stay close to God. I set aside time to, to read the Bible and to pray. 
It helps me stay close to God. I, I meet with my teammate uh, in one of the Millard High Schools uh, every week. And uh, you know what those things, I mean, those are not God conversations. You know, I, I'm under some restriction that I can't talk about faith unless the student brings it up. Um, but you know, I feel like I'm there because God wants me there. And so for me, just to go, and to, to walk into that high school, to meet with a student, to see kind of the hall filled with students that are passing from classes, I feel like God wants me there. And that is a way that I stay close to God. Uh, this past week, I invited a family who doesn't go to church to our VBS treasure hunt coming up on, on February 24th. And, and I, I, I don't know, I just kind of adopted this family in my prayers, and I, so I pray for them regularly. I, I'm trying to be a blessed friend. And that helps me stay close to God. So I want to fill my life with, with doing whatever is dear to the heart of God because I know that that's going to help keep me close to him. And that is half the battle right there. Filling your lives with those things. The other half is to stay away from anything that would pull me down or pull me into sin. You know, a, a Christian from a third world country might walk into my house and look around and go, hey, Steve, you got way too much stuff. And I go, hmm, maybe they're right. I don't know. If, if the focus of my life is about accumulating stuff, and trying to, you know, impress myself and impress others. And, and uh, you know, I kind of, there's a, there's a risk there that it will pull my heart away from God and onto things. And that would be a sin. Jesus said that I cannot serve two masters. So how do I deal with that? Well, there's a lot of things. We, and it's kind of it's hard to be cut and dried because it's not wrong to have some things either. So one thing I do is I try to be frugal. Uh, and I'm, so I'm probably frugal in some ways and I'm self-indulgent in some other ways, so I'm still working on it, right? Well, one, one way I'm trying to be frugal is that, uh, well, kind of self-indulgent too, but, uh, I, you know, recently I bought some new running shoes. And I'm not an avid runner, but I still, I still do some running. And uh, let me tell you, they were nice shoes. That they, these are the best running shoes I've ever had. They have great cushion in them. I just, I feel like I'm walking on marshmallows, you know. It's just, just wonderful. Uh, but anyway, here's where the frugality kicks in. Buying a new pair of running shoes means that my previous pair of running shoes now gets demoted to being my casual shoes that I wear with jeans around the house or running errands, that kind of stuff. And that means my previous, previous pair now gets demoted to uh, dirty jobs. So things that I don't care how bad they look and how bad they get, you know, that's great. And so I've got, in my closet, I've got three generations of running shoes, uh, and there might be a fourth pair in the garage, okay? So being frugal is one way that I try to stay away from the sin of setting my heart on stuff. Because that's deadly. Setting my heart on stuff can be deadly. Now, not only do I need to be frugal, but I also, I find that I've, I've got to be generous. And so I keep asking God, you know, what do you want me to give to? What do you want me to give away? Because the way I look at it, money is always a test of the heart. Whether you have a little or a lot, 
How you deal with it is a test of where your heart is. You know, Jesus said some stuff that really can shake you up from time to time, really challenge you. Uh, one of the things that he said is that lust is a form of adultery. So I think, okay, Jesus, well, you're my Lord. I, I'm devoted to you. I'm following you. Um, what does that mean? What am I supposed to do? Well, I'm just going to tell you how I'm, how I'm wrestling with it and dealing with it, and, and that is that I rarely watch an R-rated movie. And if I do watch one, I have scouted it out. I have gone online. I know what's going to be in it before I watch it. Most R-rated movies I look at, I scout it out, and I go, yeah, I don't think I will. That's just me. The Bible says if you want to be transformed, you cannot be conformed to the ways of the world. Now, wh wherever we draw that line, it's kind of up to you, but you're going to have to draw that line in a way that you have a clear conscience with the Lord. Right? I'm not going to make that decision. I'm not going to tell you what to do. It's between you and God, you've got to have a clear conscience before God. You have to know what effect it has on your life. Now, God is on a mission to make you, to make your life beautiful, to make you a beautiful person by making you holy. In God's eyes, that's what beauty looks like. Making you holy. Our part is to stay close to God and stay away from all the things that would pull us down or pull us into sin. A friend of mine uh, once asked me this question. How bad can I be and still make it into heaven? <laughs> you know, he kind of chuckled when he said it, but he was serious. And, and, I, and it wasn't the kind of question he wanted to ask his own pastor. <laughs> so he asked me, how bad can I be and still make it into heaven? I said, well, you know, I expect to see some people in heaven who did some really, really bad things. I mean, I expect to see King David who committed adultery and then when he learned that the woman was pregnant, he, he arranged to have her husband killed. I expect to see Paul the apostle who approved of the killing of Stephen and then he, he, uh, he arrested a bunch of other Christians and had them locked up. I expect to see Simon Peter who told Jesus he should never die on a cross. He fell asleep when Jesus asked him to pray and he denied he even knew Jesus three times. All of them repented of their sin and God forgave them. Now, I can't remember everything that I told my friend that day, but I remember saying this. It seems to me that how bad can I be and still make it to heaven is the wrong question. It's the wrong question to ask. Here are some better questions. God, how are you at work in my life right now? How are you transforming my heart and my life? And how can I cooperate with you in that? You might find that God is tapping your shoulder and says, you know, Steve, we're going to have to deal with this. We've been ignoring it. You've been ignoring it long enough, but now is the time. I'm bringing it to your attention, and now we're going to have to deal with it. Okay, Lord. How is God at work in your life? How is he doing that transforming 
power to, to bring you a holy, beautiful life. And are you going to cooperate with it? Let's pray. Oh, oh, Lord God, we do want to be close to you. You are the holy God, and, and we want to receive your holiness. We want to, Lord, have you cleanse us so that that sinful nature no longer rules our lives, does not dominate our hearts. And so, Lord, fill us. Fill our lives with all the things that are dear to your heart that, that you love to see. And Lord, we also ask that you'll give us wisdom to flee from those things that are infecting us, that are contaminating our hearts and our souls. Lord, help us to put them away, to die to that part of ourselves that, that wants to go there, and instead to turn to you and, and to be renewed each day. And Lord, we pray that you'll, you'll help us to wake up every morning knowing that deliberate choosing of sin is, is not inevitable because you are, you are at work in our lives. And so, Lord, we pray this in your great name, your holy name, and all God's people said, amen. Let's stand.